Hi there, happy holidays, and welcome to this episode of Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink, and at this time of year, people who overdo. I'm Jan M. Flynn, a writer and someone who overthinks and overdoes a lot, which is why, as you may be able to tell if you've heard my blogcasts before, my voice sounds different, because I have a cold, and it's a nasty one. No, it's not COVID. I've checked. I've been tested repeatedly. But wow, when you really haven't been sick in over two years, thanks to everyone being so careful, it packs a wallop. But it's a good reminder to keep ourselves from getting a little too caught up in all the frou-frou of the holidays, because, you know, it sets you up for stuff like this. So if that's you, if you've spent too much time running around and listening to the voices in your head telling you to do more and more, I'm inviting you to take a few minutes, stop, and listen to the voices in my head. This week's episode, Beware Grimm's Fairy Tales, especially the grown-ups. Now, don't get me wrong, I love fairy tales. I love folk tales. I love legends. Like many of us, I've loved them since before I could read. From nursery rhymes to the standard stories that Disney loves to co-opt, to the myths that had me reading late, wide-eyed, once I was old enough to parse things like Bullfinch's mythology and Ovid's metamorphoses, they still hold me in thrall. The stories that have come down to us from no singular, particular author, but have arisen from the collective imagination, hold a special power. I'm hardly the first person to point this out. Anyone who has raised kids, or helped raise them, or who can remember being one, knows that children are complex creatures with titanic impulses and tangled passions that are often best expressed, or more safely explored, within the dreamlike, symbol-ridden language of story. And, like many a writer, my fascination with myths, legends, and fairy tales has extended into adulthood. It's a wellspring of ideas and imaginative scaffolding. I've gone through a series of drastic downsizing, cleaning out possessions in the past several years, but my collection of modeled and dog-eared storybooks has survived all my purges. These books still spark joy, as well as wonder, fear, curiosity, and sometimes revulsion and I'm not about to part with them. Besides, retellings of myths and fairy tales, from Cinder to Wicked to Circe, now practically amount to their own genre in publishing. No writer with her laptop ignores a trend like that. Hence, during my convalescence, my recent return to my old copy of Grimm's Fairy Tales. And I do mean old. It's battered and moldy and has long since lost its copyright page, if it ever had one. But from what I can tell, this version, with, quote, a new translation by Ernest Beeson and illustrations by George Soper, was published in 1924. So it was a very old book when I first read it as a kid, and I'm no kid. But wow, do those stories hit me differently now. The stories from the Brothers Grimm have a reputation for being scarier, more violent, and less sugar-coated than other classic children's anthologies, like the ones from Charles Perrault and Hans Christian Andersen, even though both of them offered up some seriously dark and gruesome stuff. As a general rule, though, I don't think it's the wicked witches and the talking wolves and the curse-casting evil fairies that are problematic. I agree with some psychologists who say that those elements serve to outsource some of kids' darker emotions. Rereading Grimm's now... What gives me the shivers is the behavior of the adults in the stories, especially with regard to gender roles. 
I mean, it's not like I expect stories handed down from previous centuries and based on far older folktales to be, from a 21st century perspective, woke. But the level of blithe acceptance of certain assumptions provokes a tirade of silent, italicized internal shouting from a modern reader. From this reader, anyway. And I suspect you'll be able to hear those as I continue. Take, for example, The Twelve Brothers. In this story, which is a close cousin to Anderson's The Wild Swans, a king and queen live happily together with their twelve... Twelve? Well, okay. Sons. But now that the queen is pregnant, again, the king proclaims that if the next one's a girl, she'll wind up with a lot of wealth and an undivided kingdom, presumably as a fat dowry for some prince somewhere. But that means that all the sons will have to be killed. Wait, what? The king has twelve special coffins built, filled with nice grave clothes, that he locks in a private chamber. And then he hands the key to his wife. Psst, your highness, ma'am. May I suggest what you tell him to do with that key? So now the queen's really sad. Yeah, while she waits to see if she's having a boy or a girl. Because for some reason having thirteen sons doesn't strike the king as any kind of problem succession-wise. But the youngest of the boys convinces her to tell him what's wrong, so she shows him the twelve coffins. And he wisely decides that it's time that he and his brothers get out of Dodge, or the castle. The whole bro-herd heads off to the forest, where they find a little cottage, of course, and spend the next ten years hunting and fishing and making the youngest brother do all the cooking. Oh, and since it was a girl who nearly got them all killed, they all take a vow to wreak their revenge on any maiden they see— there and then shall her red blood flow. So, maybe King Dad was onto something. By now, of course, the baby girl has grown into a girl kind in heart and fair of face. And when she one day gets it out of her mother that she has twelve brothers out in the woods, hiding from Dad's death sentence, she hikes off in search of them. Luckily, she finds the youngest, and apparently least murder-minded, brother home alone, and he's so taken with her beauty and charm. Ew, he's her brother. How weird is this going to get? That when the other brothers get home from hunting and fishing, he talks them out of killing her. The princess is so thrilled to find her siblings. But they were going to kill you, honey, that she settles down with them and hangs out in the cottage all day, doing the cooking and washing, and they're all very happy and contented. And I have my finger down my throat. But wait, there's more. Long story a little shorter. Through some mischance that involves picking the wrong flowers, the princess accidentally turns all twelve of her brothers into crows. Yes! Now the only way to uncrow them is for her to utter neither a word nor a laugh for seven full years. Don't do it. They're fine as crows. She climbs to the top of a tall tree, no, and keeps her mouth shut like a good princess, even when a handsome king from some neighboring country finds her up there while he's hunting in the woods and is so swept away by her beauty, she's been up there now how long? That he immediately asks her to marry him. She nods yes. She and the king are happily married, because nothing makes for a solid relationship like a total lack of communication, until the king's evil mother convinces him there's something fishy about a queen who never talks or even laughs. So the best thing to do is for him to burn his wife at the stake. He agrees, although he's really sad about it. But cheer up, your majesty. There's got to be other damsels in the forest. 
So here's our princess slash queen slash prospective toast up there on the great pyre in the courtyard with the fire just beginning to lick at her with its fierce red tongues. Is it just me or does that sound... Never mind. But at that very moment, the seven years are up. And at that very same moment, a flock of twelve crows lands in the courtyard and they turn back into the twelve brothers who right away get busy putting out the flames. Doesn't anybody stop them? or help them, so they can embrace their sister and generally say thanks. And now that she can talk, the princess-slash-queen explains to her husband why it was she had been dumb. Trust me, sweetheart, you're still dumb. And the king is filled with joy, and thenceforth they all live together in happiness to the end of their days. And the morals of this story? If you're a girl, expect to be judged by your looks and also by your ability to keep your mouth shut. Also, if you're a girl, accept that men have all the power. If you're sweet enough and fair enough a face, they might not kill you, and they might even marry you. But watch out for your mother-in-law. Probably best to kill her first. If you're a boy, your older brothers will assume you're a wimp, even if you save their lives. That's just the way it is. Also, if you're a boy, hunting and fishing will keep you happy until you can wreak revenge. If you're the king, you can do whatever you want, even if you're stupid. If you're the queen, try not to be stupider than your husband and figure out birth control. No wonder fairy tale retellings are so popular. These stories need some work. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing and please think about leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or any platform where you get your podcasts. It helps me build an audience and hey, how often is it that you get a magic power like that? And for now, I'm wishing you happy and healthy holidays. And until next time, may all your thoughts be good ones.